Braddock, Pennsylvania Mayor John Fetterman wants a bigger stage for his ideas, so he's uh, decided to run for lieutenant governor. I recently sat down with John at a diner near his home outside Pittsburgh. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to Brews and Views. I'm Matt Briette, president of Commonwealth Partners Chamber of Entrepreneurs, and I'm in uh, Pittsburgh, uh, seated at the uh, Square Cafe yeah, in Pittsburgh. Here in beautiful Regent Square. In Regent Square uh, with uh, Mayor John Fetterman, uh, who is a, a candidate uh, for lieutenant governor yeah. uh, on the Democratic side. Well, John, yeah, thanks for sitting down. Hey, you know, I sit down here often. Uh, this, as I shared with you before we went live, um, this is my family's weekend breakfast spot. So okay. we've been coming here. Actually, I've been coming here since... Uh, they opened in 20, 2003, so they've been open for quite a while. And we're, we're just up the road from uh, the city of which you're, yeah, or the yeah, town of which you're mayor? Yeah, maybe four miles away from our community here, uh, and uh, <clears throat> we're right on the border of uh, a town called Swissvale and uh, the city of Pittsburgh. So it's kind of, that's why they call it Regent Square. Okay. Well, uh, John, I wanted to get to your background and talk yeah. about, uh, you know, how you grew up, uh, sure. how you came to your political views. And then, and of course, we'll talk about uh, today's politics. Yeah. But uh, tell well, me uh, I, your background. Where'd you grow up? I grew up in uh, York, Pennsylvania. And um, I grew up in a traditional Republican conservative family in a conservative part of the state in a conservative county, you mm-hmm. know, um, and um, uh, there's some in the water in York. I mean, no, they seem to be I, producing just, all these politicians. It, but but it, more in the more in the. <laughs> yeah, really. uh, but it was it was in like the Reagan kind of mold, where it was you know kind of just. Uh, uh, and then as I got older, I never you know growing up, I never you know. Uh, I never appreciated looking back. I never appreciated a lot of the, you know, I was lucky. I had a two loving parents. I came from a stable household. I was read to as a child. Um, you know, I never had to worry about my college education, you know, things that a lot of people didn't yeah. have to take for, take for granted. Um, and, um, all that changed, um, when I was just about to finish up my MBA and, uh, about a month before graduation and my best friend was on his way over to my home and he was killed in a car accident. Hmm. And that really kind of shook me to my core uh, because I had never, you know, been close with somebody, you know, that young who had died, you know, unexpectedly and tragically, um, especially when they were, you know, on route to come pick me up. Mm-hmm. I mean, and and mm-hmm. uh, I uh, wanted something good to come from that senseless tragedy. So I was like, hey, how can I, you know, how can I do that? So you grew up in York, brothers yeah. and sisters. Yeah, and, t- uh, typical kind yeah. of, you yeah. know, York, you know, upbringing. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah I have... Uh, I have three brother, well, three siblings, two brothers, one sister, um, and uh, yeah, just kind of typical childhood. Uh-huh. Uh, did your parents go to college? And yeah, was that, well, so my, my my father uh, went to college. My mother uh, went to nursing school. Um, they had me when they were young, uh, both nineteen, and uh, they first. Uh, I was born in Reading Hospital, and um, I moved around. Uh, my fifth birthday, fifth to sixth birthday, uh, to York, and, mm-hmm. and that's mm-hmm. really the only home I would say I remember growing up in. I have very vague memories of growing up, you know, outside of Reading. So I considered myself uh, growing up in York, and and as I was sharing before, it was just kind of a typical childhood and and uneventful, um, in a way that uh, grew up. Um, 
it's, it's kind of a strange story how I ended up doing what I'm doing, where I'm doing, with the political views that I have. And that's why I share the context of growing up in York County in a conservative family. Yeah, were you um, were they politically yeah. engaged or active no, not, or not, did not you not talk really. politics at the yeah, dinner table? Yeah, not really. And, yeah. and, and socially, they weren't conservative. They okay. were just, you know, just kind of, you know, Reagan, Reagan uh, Republicans and, and uh, but, but uh, just the two best people I know and, and uh you know, would ultimately be very supportive of my my future Senate race and my race for lieutenant governor. So they're not hard hard bitter partisans by any stretch. Um, and uh, I so, won't yeah. ask if they voted for Trump, but uh, uh, yeah, I, no, I, I'll, t- I'll tell you, they, they, my parents did. Okay, you know? yeah, I, I, I talk about how surreal it is to uh, when I campaign to uh, for the Senate. You know, as a progressive Democrat, uh, my my parents had a Trump sign in there. Uh-huh. You know, so. Um, and it just shows that, you know, you got to listen to all voices, all sides. And, and uh, so, so uh, you grew up in a home generally Republican or voting yeah, Republican generally and Republican uh, and and, and uh, not, you know, middle class, not uh, not like super wealthy. But certainly, we, you know, you know, as my father became more and more successful in business, you know, um, we uh, it was understood that we were going to go to college if that's what you wanted mm-hmm. to do. And um, as I shared earlier, Looking back, I I didn't fully appreciate a lot of the things that people in my community, for example, you know, could not take for yeah, granted. Right. You know, and and that um, uh, was one of those defining lessons that that I took from my my friend's death, where it was just like, wow, you know, it could all end right uh, at any moment. And what did I want my life to stand for? What did I want my legacy to be? And and that put me on a path after his funeral. Uh, I joined Big Brothers and Big Sisters, okay. and I was paired up with a little boy who had, uh, his father had died from AIDS, and his mother was in her final stage uh, before she would die in about five weeks. So that's what really kind of fried my circuits, mm. where I was like, I've never uh, seen yeah, anything right, like right. this. You know, uh, this was 1994, and, and HIV back then was a death sentence. And, and I was embarrassed, I'm embarrassed to admit it now, but I was a little leery to shake her hand at first, but she was bedridden. She could barely lift her arm to, to shake my hand. And I'd never seen anything like that. And, and at that point I was just kind of like, you know, this is crazy. Right. I, I, I have to, to, to figure this out. So I, I quit my job. And I, what were you doing at that time? I was doing risk management okay. uh, uh, for uh, a company and I an uh, underwriting. And um, I joined AmeriCorps, which to people who are listening, it's kind of like the domestic Peace Corps. Mm-hmm. And I ended up getting placed in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Uh, at the Hill House, which is a social service agency in Pittsburgh's Hill District. So, so let me back up, though. Okay, so you, I assume you went to college, uh, got a degree yeah. in finance or yep. economics MBA, or something. Yeah, okay. MBA in finance. So, uh, so your your parents are saying you're quitting your job yeah. and you're going to go do nonprofit yeah. work, right? Yeah, yeah, they, uh, they were like, are you nuts? Just, yeah, <laughs> yeah, they were alarmed to say the least, and 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 I had a hard time explaining and defending it there, but I just knew that this is what I had uh-huh. to do because. I, I was like, man, I, you know, the the random lottery of birth, I called it, where it's like, how did I end up with a college education and a graduate education and two loving parents and all this, uh, you know, the ability to move wherever I wanted and, you know, uh, and this little boy was an orphan before his ninth birthday, hmm. you know, like, it, it shouldn't be this, like, like, there's just something wrong here, yeah. you know. 
Um, or so, what can I do yeah, to can, help mitigate yeah, exactly. that in other how, people's how lives? Can I, okay? how, can I make, how can I make this world just a little bit mm. better, a little less, whatever you want to call mm-hmm. it? Um, and that's how I ended up in Pittsburgh for AmeriCorps. And I taught GED students there. Um, and again, I was just kind of like blown away where it's like, these just in the city itself. Uh, the city uh, well, of yeah, it's for for those that may not know Pittsburgh. It's it's um, it's it's a really historic and important community, uh, but it's but it's but it's also um, a lot of inequality goes there, uh, and and the, the students that I worked with had. Um, you know, score reading and math scores in the third, fourth, fifth grade level. And I'm like, how on earth can you take care of yourself, yeah. let alone, you know, your family with these scores? And, and it's, it wasn't their fault. It's, it's just they didn't grow up in a home that had the advantages that I did. Um, and again, it just kind of reinforced this idea where it's like, you know, what can, what can I do? Mm-hmm. What, what is this all about, and what do I want to do with the rest of my life as a career? Are, are you thinking politically at this time? No, I mean, was that no, was with I, politics? I was, would you? I, how would you have considered yourself at, I, at that I just, point? I, I just considered myself a social worker okay. primarily. Um, in fact, I say that on the campaign trail now. It's like I, I'm, I'm not a politician so much as a social worker who chose elective office to, to do the things that, mm-hmm. that I, I uh, wanted to do. And uh, so after I did my two years in AmeriCorps, which is the most you can do, okay. um, I went back, uh, I went to the Kennedy School at Harvard University uh, for a public policy degree because I wanted to create something that combined business and marketing and um Social work and economic policy and public policy. I mean, all this in the like, you know, how can I be useful? How mm-hmm. can I be of value? How can I be of service? And and um, so I, I I did that. And then when I was finishing up there, I was offered the position and the the opportunity to come to this town called Braddock, Pennsylvania, to start some programming to help young people. Did you and know anything about Braddock not, at that I point? I mean, I've Is heard it, of it, yeah? but I certainly didn't know anything. Com- you know the you know like it wasn't part of like a long-term plan let's put mm-hmm. it that way I was like wow this 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 makes sense this is the kind of community that that you know kind of needs this assistance um, and and um, I wanted to uh, see what I could do and I was cautioned against it it was like are you crazy you know this is the kind of place that you don't want to go and da 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 um, and that's just not the kind of place that I found. I, I found this really incredibly uh, important and historic community. Um, and the programming that I start helped young people get kind of get their lives back on track, help them get the job, help them get a GED, help them, you know, get back more towards the mainstream. So when, when was this? When did you first uh, come to? 2001. To 2001. Yeah. Uh, pre-9-11? Yeah, I mean, pre, so yeah literally pre-9-11, okay. before the, the planes flew into the Twin Towers. You think how much different... We had as a yeah. we were as a society, and and this 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 nagging idea of, of systemic inequality really kind of motivated me to completely change my life, change my outlook, and and really forego the the, the path that I was on. What do you, what do you mean by systemic uh, inequality? What just, can you define just like that? The, the, the forces in our society that can lead to such widely divergent outcomes, you know, where a, a, a little boy can be an orphan before his ninth birthday and 
I can be kind of set for life, ready to go, you know, just spend the rest of my life feathering my own nest, you know, kind of a thing. And so do you see, and are you developing kind of like a <coughs> policy agenda in your mind? No, of like, no, no. all right, here's I, how we I solve just, this? Or? I just, I, I honestly just thought I was going to be a, a program director. Uh-huh. Like, I was like, okay, this is great, because we were really successful. Uh, a lot of young kids, you know, came in, got their GEDs, a lot of, you know, um, and things were going really well for the first couple of years. And, and I was, I was happy, you know, mm-hmm. and this was, you know, right after the, the, the dot-com boom and, and uh, a lot of my classmates were taking on these kind of weird, uh, not weird, but just they were kind of chasing something other than, yeah. than what I was interested uh-huh. in. And, and these companies didn't seem like they had a lot of value or a plan um, other than just to try to get rich and, and flip it. And, and it wasn't, it didn't seem a lot of societally redeeming kind of activity. Um, so, so you're kind of plugging along using this as a vehicle. Like, how, how do we influence people's lives here in yeah. Radic? It's about 2,700 yeah, people. Yeah. Uh, and 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 just you know what you know like just understanding what life is like on the ground in in, in a place like this. And and then after a couple of years, I had a couple. Uh, two of my students were were killed um, as a result of gun gun violence. And, and that kind of was the next fork in the road, so to speak, mm. that I hit, where I'm like, man, I, I can't do anything about gun violence and that kind of culture here in, in Braddock. I can help a kid get a GED. I can help um, someone get a driver's license. But, but in terms of making it safer or making things better, I can't, I can't do that in my current role. So I uh, opted to run for mayor. Uh, and, and that uh, was a really strange decision from someone who <laughs> a didn't live there i okay, wasn't even uh-huh. a, a resident that yeah long. how long had you yeah. been in the community I, yeah I, you three know, four years a, a yeah. technical resident yeah. you know bare, i barely met the, the <laughs> statutory minimum of of, okay. of of residency um and you know braddock's overwhelmingly african-american so you know typically guys that look like yeah. us yeah. you know shaved heads and and bald uh, and, balding yeah. uh <laughs> don't you know, you know, and, and especially the way I, I dress and look, don't get elected mayor, you know. Uh, but but what happened was is that um, the the young people that I worked with ended up knocking on doors with, with me and for me. Mm. And they were my validators. They were the ones that said, hey, look, you may not know this guy, but he helped me get my life mm. back on track. Mm. And he's a good guy and you should give him a chance. And it's because of their efforts and only because of their efforts that I won that first election. Okay. Know, and I won that first election by one vote. You know, and, <laughs> and people think I'm trying to embellish or I'm just trying to, you know, create like a lifetime movie, you know, like, you know, like, well, every vote counts. It's like, well, it actually yeah, it did. It, did. it, it, it actually did. did. That one vote changed yeah. the entire course of my life and it changed the direction of, of Braddock too. Um, so from, from my perspective, um, what were then you able to do as mayor, as mayor uh, and well, to build as, on what you had been as, doing? As yeah. mayor, we, we were able to build on a lot of things. And, and first and foremost, what I'm most proud of after looking back after all these years is that we were able to drive down violence and gun violence and crime overall dramatically. We went five and a half years without the loss of life uh, in our community. We were able to take a, a town that didn't even have an ATM when I took over, and now we have, um, uh, I think, four or five places where you can eat now, including mm. the, 
uh, you know, rated the best brewery in, in Pennsylvania by Yelp. Um, a restaurant that, that would bring Anthony Bourdain uh, there, um, which you just was on this past October. So um, we, we've achieved a lot of success, and we did it in, in a very kind of organic grassroots redevelopment uh, And because it, there wasn't some li- jar, giant agency. There wasn't some billionaire benefactor that was kind of— What do you, what do you attribute it to? Was it just hustle? It was yeah, it, uh, I, I, yeah, I just attribute it to just trying to get out and, and sell the case for communities like Braddock to— people that could help and that you know whether it's Allegheny County with with economic development assistance whether it's entrepreneurs that um, you know we're like hey you know what I'm gonna take a chance on this place I'm gonna invest uh, it's people that I'm going to you know hey I'm gonna move here I'm gonna put down roots here um, uh, well and and talking about uh, move here put down roots uh, insert where you met your wife and sure. I know you've got three kids yeah. as well where, yeah, yeah. where did they show up on yeah. the scene and all well, of your travails yeah. here yeah well um, it was 2007 and uh, I got a call uh, from a magazine called ready-made which I had never heard of at the time and uh, it was like a DIY you know okay. magazine mm-hmm. like a home improvement slash lifestyle magazine for the DIY crowd. And they're like, hey, we heard about you and we want to do a story. And I was like, sure. You know, I was like, okay, <laughs> that's fine. Um, and they came to town and they did this story and it was published in uh, August slash September of 2007. And I was like, oh, great. I didn't think much of it. And it but it turns out that um, a copy of it ended up at a yoga retreat in Costa Rica where my wife was at the time, my future <laughs> wife at the time was, and she read it and she was like intrigued and like kind of like, wow, that's, you know. Uh, so she wrote a letter and said, hey, I'd like to come visit and just kind of check out the town. And uh, the rest is history. So it really was as random as that. You know, like, yeah. like Who needs it, a dating yeah, service, right? Yeah, yeah well, it wasn't even a, it, like, <laughs> and I'm, I'm mystified by the fact that, you know, if somebody hadn't brought a copy of a magazine and left it on a coffee table at a yoga retreat in Costa Rica, <laughs> I never would have met uh, my wife and we wouldn't have three kids. And, so. and she's willing to move to, to Braddock, well, Pennsylvania. Yeah, huh? well, yeah, she, she wanted to kind of do a similar kind of service, you know, life of service that way. And and she has, and she has made an enormous impact, you know, here in, in Braddock. In fact, so much so she was just named uh, by uh, City Paper Pittsburgh of uh, Best Activist in the city. Mm. And she had co-founded Best New non- Best Nonprofit in the city as well. Um, so she has had an enormous impact on the quality of life uh, for residents in Braddock and and in, in many ways, uh, in any meaningful way, she's my better. Um, and again, it all came down to that strange origin story that uh, that an article uh, changed it. And and um, you know, all the different exposure and whether it was the Colbert Report or or the New York Times, you know, none of these were were generated through my own a- effort or outreach. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I never had social media. I never did press releases. I never promoted, like, say, hey, you should really have me on your show or you should check me out. Mm-hmm. It was just people, you know, tended to, you know, find their way here. And I was just like, this is our story. This yeah. is what happened to a place like Braddock. This is what happened to places all across America. And that seemed to resonate with, with people. And, and that's how it went. So so as you're trying to uh, improve, uh, you know, things in Braddock, 
what were some of the things you thought this should be easy, but ended up being really, really hard? Nothing. And then what was yeah. okay? What, I, I can't say anything. Okay, yeah. it's always it's it's all been it's all been a struggle. Yeah, you know, there isn't there wasn't anything that I thought, wow, we should be able to you know, bingo bango. Um, yeah, it, it's 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 a it's a real challenge. I mean, and 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 I, I try to tell people that the lesson for for our place, is, our community is, is that if things can get better in a meaningful way in a place like Braddock, it can get better in a meaningful way for any community, certainly across Pennsylvania. Um, and and, well, and, and, and things I'm, need yeah. to. And I'm interested in in things like sustainability because yeah. you've got a great story, mm-hmm. but how do you turn that into a legacy? Meaning that when when John Fetterman leaves Braddock, how do things continue to go on the upward because, uh, you know trend? Because like I'm I'm not instrumental to the ongoing revitalization. I I, I think I think we've we've created enough of a change and we've created enough of a an understanding that, that this is the kind of thing that needs to continue. And, and if I am lucky enough to be chosen uh, as the next lieutenant governor, I'm, I'm still going to use Braddock as my base. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not going to move to Harrisburg full time and, and suddenly... Well, you say, get a mansion there. It's, it's all yeah, free, well, paid for, I, yeah, you know, pool, well, all that. I, I was the, the first <laughs> uh, candidate uh, in the race to say, not for me. And, and I'm not going to live there and... and uh, um, I mean, because that's just not the kind of ethos that I subscribe to. Well, before we get into kind of that, the, the lieutenant governor gig, which is, I don't know if it's the easiest statewide gig in the in the state, which I, yep. w- I wonder why you, you know, of all people yep. who like to get in the trenches, want to want to do that kind of. But before sure. before we get to that, what are the, some of the lessons, I guess, that you would say, look, here's what I learned in Braddock mm-hmm. that I think would be applicable in many communities across Pennsylvania that are downtrodden, that are struggling with a lot of the same issues. Yeah, well, I mean, I can, let's talk basic practicality, that the very bottom of the Maslow pyramid or hierarchy, staying warm in the winter. Yeah. Um, I noticed about five years ago that um, I just ended up at, at a house for some reason, I forget the exact reason, and and when I went inside, I, I was appalled to see this you know, arrangement of blankets and these old rickety space heaters and, and, um, the, the electric stove was turned on and they weren't cooking and I'm like, they, their gas was shut off. And I'm like, you have three kids here. Like, this is crazy. I mean, it was really cold. And I'm like, we, this, this is unacceptable in a society like ours. So I used my notoriety or minor celebrity, whatever you want to call it to, to reach out to people's gas. And I said, look, Hey, like, here's my idea. Let me know who in our community doesn't have gas, their gas turned on, and we are going to go around and do welfare checks because I guarantee you, you don't want this, and and we we can't have this. And it turns out that at that time we had about three dozen households, and it was usually over an amount like three hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. And it's like that's dangerous and it's unethical, um, and people's gas was appalled too. They're like, we don't want that. Um, so what we did in each subsequent build up to, to the winter is they would send out a list and it went from a couple, several dozen to this past fall. They're like, we don't have any list to send you because Mm. everyone, Mm. you know, we, we have no heat insecurity left and, um, and knock on linoleum. I don't want to 
bang your mic, <laughs> but uh, we haven't had a house fire mm. in, in our community since then. And, and more importantly, no one has ever had to go without heat there. So I think that's scalable. I think that's important. I think that that's an idea that, that should go. I think it, another thing that's scalable is, is that every community deserves better than just managing the decline. You know, and, and a lot of these places, they can't even do that effectively, you know, and and, you know, you're not going to turn a place that has been struggling for the last 30 or 40 years and turn it into the next bustling community. But we have communities of equivalent size within Allegheny County that have over a decade more in life expectancy and they you can travel between them in the amount of time it takes to boil an egg. Hmm. And, you know, you're talking like developing world kind of outcomes and, and, and health um, uh, disparities. And, and that just shouldn't be. And, and uh, you know, I'm the only candidate in the, the, the race, uh, whether it was Senate or in Lieutenant Governor or any race, theoretically, that's coming from the bottom up at the very bottom of of where we are in a society and what inequality looks like and what inequality is, how it manifests itself at, at the most basic level as it does in my community. Well, and I'm a big proponent of local government because I think it's closest mm-hmm. to the people and the empowerment of yep. those at the local level to make the decisions rather than Washington or in Harrisburg even. Yep. Uh, what are some of the things that you would say, look, here are the things that need to change in Harrisburg to better empower uh, small city uh, mayors yep. and, and borough councils well, and all that. Yeah. It, it, it all comes down to resources. I mean, the only place way a place like Braddock can get better and change is resources, and that's access to capital. That's that's uh, community development block grants. You know, when you're dealing in a community that's upside down, private money will only follow public money, and this understanding that that this can happen, you know, you know, uh, just by accident or you don't have to make these public dollar investments in these places just it just doesn't but like what well. kind of public dollars are you talking about um, well I'll give you a, a great example yeah. when when UPMC closed our hospital in 2009 like we weren't going to get another hospital we weren't going to get another health care provider but thankfully those funds were made available um, to help replace once the hospital was torn down to replace it with mixed income housing um, new com- commercial redevelopment um, uh, spaces, and including um, a, a new urgent care center. Now, those weren't driven by a profit motive. Those weren't driven by um, people that thought, hey, I'm going to come into Braddock and make a lot of money. It, these, these were resources that were channeled um, through government, whether it's Allegheny County and whether it was the Pennsylvania uh, state, to say this place deserves and needs this kind of assistance otherwise it's really going to go off the rails in a way that that we've never seen before but ultimately you're going to have to attract private capital and, and, that and grows right exactly I mean, and okay. that's and that's what we've done and that's what we're doing and that's why whether it's new restaurants whether it's new businesses whether it's you know any of the other uh you know we have two software firms in town now you know i never thought i would say <laughs> Braddock and software firms would in the same <laughs> sentence, other than we don't have any, <laughs> um, uh, you know, so, so that's exactly what we're doing. And, and, and it's going to be a long journey back and you drive down Braddock Avenue and it still looks like a place that's got a lot of work ahead of it. And we do, um, but we're headed in the right direction. And, and it's that kind of momentum and it's that kind of direction that it's, 
it will, I, I believe, outlast me and my time as mayor. So uh, why do you want to leave that and uh, go to I, Harrisburg? I don't, and that's okay. the thing. I, I'm, I'm not yeah. leaving that. Okay. I'm, I'm just simply seeking a bigger platform. I, I, I try to establish in my narrative of my life is that I, to take a, I have to, you know, choosing to get a bigger platform. To, mm-hmm. to, to affect these things. I could have been a great program director and was a good program director, but I wanted to change more and I wanted to, to spread this message. And I did, you know, with mayor. So, I, but I've kind of bumped up against the limits of that and made a good run at the Senate, uh, came up short, uh, but still made, uh, made a, a good impact. And it's the same with the lieutenant governor. The, the office traditionally has been undervalued. The office has been traditionally underappreciated, underutilized, um, and uh, it really, to me, represents uh, the opportunity to really be a powerful advocate for a lot of these things. You, you, I, you are aware you'd have to wear a coat and a tie every day to work I, and sit in the Pennsylvania Senate. Well, you know, uh, it, uh, you know, uh, whatever I have to wear is, is... Maybe it's one of those shirts that has yeah, it, has it uh, yeah, you know, like a, uh, a, imprinted a, on a, there. A tuxedo shirt. Um <laughs> No, uh, uh, whatever I wear is, it really doesn't matter. But what I think does matter is having somebody in that office that understands where we're coming from and understands where we need to go in a lot of communities across Pennsylvania. Um, An intimate firsthand knowledge and understanding of the opioid crisis, Mm -hmm. which I watched from a little brush fire with some heroin to now. Has that been a Braddock uh, challenge, a big uh, challenge for you? Absolutely. You know, we and we get it on both ends, too, because we have the the sale of, mm-hmm. of fentanyl and and those other substances and then we also have the consumption mm. you know people coming in from outside the the community um and and that's been a challenge you know my wife carries uh, narcan in her purse you know we have hosted trainings mm. at our home uh this past summer my wife um uh, and we, Narc- Narcan is something that you'd uh, give to somebody if they it, were yeah, overdosing. That, that overdosed. Okay. That, that's the only way you can yeah. save an addict mm-hmm. who's uh, overdosed. Um, th- this this past summer, I got a call that that a woman had shot up and drove off, and she forgot her baby in her car seat in the parking lot. I mean, literally, she was hmm. so high she forgot that she had a baby and drove off. And we took the baby back to the police station. I brought my wife down to the station, and she changed the baby, fed the baby, you know, uh, rocked the baby to sleep. Um, and and it's heartbreaking. Like that, like you know, like that. Are that's the face of the victim of addiction in in a lot of these communities so, and places. So Governor Wolf has declared a state of emergency yeah. uh, because of this. What's that going to do for you? Does that cut some uh, of the yeah, red I mean, tape I, bureaucracy I, I, or well, what? Well, yeah, I applauded it online uh, and and I've and my my good friend Josh Shapiro, who I guess appeared on your pie. Like he gets he, it. Future, he'll be on. Yeah, yeah, okay, future. He gets it. You know, that's his number one priority is the opioid crisis. Mm-hmm. And and I'll never forget talking to the Democratic Senatorial Campaign Committee. Uh, in D.C. In, in the fall of 15, where they thought I lost my mind when I said opioids was, was a real issue. Mm-hmm. They thought I wanted to just legalize heroin and <laughs> that I, I kind of was nuts. And I'm like, no, you don't understand. This is a thing. And it's and, and it, you know, we, unfortunately, I was right, you mm-hmm. know, um, and and uh, both Governor Wolf and, and Josh get it. And they realize that this has to be a priority because it vastly, vastly has outstripped uh, gun deaths. In, in our Commonwealth, 
and and I certainly don't think that it has even crested yet. I think we've we're three or four years mm. out from wow. knowing the full amount of uh, how vast the, the the addiction is, and the headlines just get worse and worse. You mm. know, um, you know, both parents overdose and their child. Three children yeah, are right, left at home with right. their dead parents. I mean, just horrible, yeah, horrible yeah. stories. And and now it's carfentanil, like elephant tranquilizer. Mm. Like, like, where do you go next after elephant tranquilizer? Wow. How do you outdo that? Wow. Um, and and um, so so these are these uh, the, the issues there that um, you so, know. Yeah. So you're so you're running for lieutenant governor. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are lots of others uh, running. Yep. Uh, uh, Tom Wolf, of course, is paired right now with uh, Mike Stack in yep. Pennsylvania, being a state that elects them separately yep. in the primary. Um, I don't think anybody's going to challenge Tom Wolf. Uh, is he saying who he wants as his running mate nope, in nope. November? He's, uh, he is staying neutral in the race, you know, and and. Uh, um, and that's his right. I, you know, people say, well, hey, what if he chose someone that wasn't you? I'd be like, hey, I'm out. Mm-hmm. You know, like I'm one of those people that thinks that um, ironically, I'm running for lieutenant governor. But I, I do think that the governor, he or she should be able to choose their yeah. own running mate. And if that legislation does get passed next go round, I think that's that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the current situation, as it sets right now, that's why I'm running. And what are your thoughts on uh, Governor Wolf's uh, uh, job so far? He's been in office uh, yeah, three years. Yeah, I mean, and- I, I, think, I, I think that it's an all-hands-on-deck year for Democrats in Pennsylvania, that Governor Wolf has stopped a lot of the destructive and, and kind of right, harsh um, policies that the Republicans want to enact. And sometimes what you can stop is even more valuable than what you can move forward because, quite frankly, there's limited what you can accomplish when you've got two of the three uh, branches, like in gridlock, you know, or violent opposition to most things, including passing a budget, as rudimentary as passing a budget. So I give him really high marks on, on, on what he's been able to accomplish. I give him really high marks on being that kind of the adult in the room to say, look, you know, we can work together, but if we can't, I'm going to I'm here with the veto pen to stop any of this kind of crazy stuff coming through. What are your thoughts on uh, President Trump uh, uh, so far? <laughs> you know, it, it, it uh, uh, I don't understand why he does what he does. I don't understand how a, a year into it, people aren't like we don't want a, a guy taunting a, a, an unstable nuclear power on Twitter. We don't want I mean, like it, it just. Yeah, it's it, it it's discouraging to say the least. And I, I try to, you know, my my theory is is that Trump is like radiation, and he's altered the DNA, and it will mutate the the political DNA in this country, and it's going to mutate in ways that we can't possibly imagine. And I don't think any of it's going to be good. And when you have celebrities and billionaires lining up to run, I, I don't think that's a good thing. And I, I think well, and that's he, the kind of the buzz is another celebrity billionaire yeah. with Oprah, right? Yeah, the, I, oh, I well, yeah. The, and, and again, Oprah is, counter with the <laughs> Oprah's lovely. Uh, don't get me wrong, but you know, give me Michelle Obama. Uh, like if if we if you know what I'm saying, like yeah. you know, somebody who's been in the White House, somebody that understands it, somebody that has would have the counsel of of, of a fabulous president, like like her husband. I mean, that makes sense, you know, as a candidate, somebody who pitching, you know, pitches Weight Watchers or someone who um, is is a a lovely person and has a very compelling life story. 
that doesn't necessarily make them president. And people can say, well, look at Donald Trump. It's like, exactly, look at Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. it's, it's like, you know, the art of politics and the art of governance, we've lost sight of that in yeah. this country. Governance is much different than politics. People think governance, they've conflated it with politics. And Oprah, give her a Nobel Peace Prize, you know, but <laughs> it's like I'm not there, you know, for president. Michelle Obama, hey, where do I sign? You know, so, um, and I think we should get back to that because mm -hmm. that, those things matter. And, and the calm, steady, moral, dignified leadership of Barack Obama has literally been turned on its head by somebody like Donald Trump, who seems to have this fetish for trying to undo everything, no matter how good or beneficial or how much sense it actually Is there makes. anything you'd applaud him for? I mean, has he done anything? Donald Trump? Yeah, yeah, yeah that in I, office there is. Done um, well? he, he killed uh, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the trade agreement. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, the jeez, oh, I can't believe uh, TPPF, yeah, yeah, TPP. Yeah, yeah he mm -hmm. killed the TPP, yeah, yeah. Um, and and that was number one on the list for a lot of you know Democrats. Mm -hmm. You know, so from my perspective, you know, uh, uh, you have to give credit where credit's yeah. due. And, and somebody said, well, what's one good thing you can say? Like, well, yeah. he killed TPP, and and he got the Republicans off a lot of this unbridled free trade that has really devastated a lot of areas. You know, um, like in my region, hmm. you know, hmm. so. So, so uh, let's get back to some of the things that you would have to deal with in Harrisburg. Yep. Uh, the, the, the primary budget drivers uh, are welfare or human services and education. Mm -hmm. uh, those are the, you know, I think they're 80 percent of the state yep. budget. Uh, what are your thoughts on those? How do we get people? And, I, and I'm assuming that you would you would agree that we want to move people from dependence to independence. How do we well, provide a safety net? Uh, of course. But and then they, yeah. you know, are able to, you know, pursue the American we, dream, right? We, and, and the only way that happens is if we create uh, a living wage situation, you know, and, and it's like, how can you not expect someone's going to need and rely on these services if they can only make $9 an hour working, you know, someplace? So a living wage as in like government mandating saying, here, you cannot no, pay anything it, it, less, or you just saying it just elevate means, people's it means, wages? It, it means if, if our goal as a society is to have everybody live in self sustaining dignity as it as it reasonably mm -hmm. should if you work 40 hours you have to have a minimum wage that is a living wage you know but doesn't that i mean would that uh attract more jobs into braddock i mean are small businesses I, I going I to th i think it i, I be able think to if, pay that again we well if if that's the the law and that's what everybody has to pay then then absolutely and and it's like you see companies doing that like costco for example pays their employees um you know many multiples beyond what walmart pays like sam's club 18000 a year, Costco $43,000 uh -huh. a year. And I don't know if you go to Costco. I but do. But yeah, I, I love Costco. And, and their prices are better than Sam's. Uh, yeah. And their employees, you know. Been there forever. Yes. yes. Yeah. So, several of my I know them. Yeah. What's that? <laughs> I know them. Yeah, yeah. yeah I spent way too much money. My yeah, me says. too. I, and several of my <laughs> former students work there. Okay. And uh, in fact, one of the young people that introduced me at my campaign rally um, works there. And, and he makes... $45,000 a year as someone with just a GED and his credit score is higher than mine, yeah. you know, and that's the God's honest truth. And it's because they value their employees. So, so let, what, what else do you, how else do you see that we can boost people out of poverty and, and uh, again, workforce development, yeah. you know, the kind of uh, investments in, in uh, reaching out to adult learners. You know, to me, like people talk about education policy in K through 12, and that, those, that's really important. But th there's so much enormous low-hanging fruit um, 
about reaching out to adult learners as mm -hmm. well too. I, mm -hmm. I forget the exact statistic, but well over 95% of adult dropouts never go back to finish school. Mm. And that's an enormously, enormous, I mean, like, you know, statistically, if you don't, if you're, you drop out of high school, it, there's all kinds of outcomes that most of which, you know, it's highly unlikely that they're going to be positive. And reaching out, but if you get your equivalence degree, you will earn over $200,000 over the course of your working life versus if you didn't. And it's, it opens the door to any future vocational training. It opens the door to a community college. It opens the door to getting a job at Costco, getting your foot mm -hmm. in the door at Costco. Um, and reaching out and doing a better job of, of making those resources available to adult learners, I think, is, is another critical step um, in terms of bringing it around. But again, as long as we're, as long as it's legal, like, I'll never forget this. This was probably the single most jarring moment of my Senate race is when I went to Erie and I was sitting, um, it, it was in a hotel restaurant in, in Erie and it was a union guy um, and he cleaned hotel rooms at the casino and he showed me, he, he brought out his pay stub and it was for 80 hours a week, 80 hour check. And after taxes and everything, it was $352.94. You know, he made seven seventy-five or something an hour. And I think you and I would agree that cleaning hotel rooms isn't exactly high on the, the, the glamour, right. the glamour list. And like how, and he was a union, like how on earth can you live on $352 every two weeks like that and and it's like this man was broken this man like again how do you ever get out from under that and it's like it's not bootstrap it's not well if you save up and you it's like you can't get ahead and and that was two years ago and I still remember that number like I still you know this idea that you know you can have be in a union and you can work 80 hours every two weeks and you still have that that kind of reward or payoff and until that changes as a society you know we can't cast these people as moochers or freeloaders right. or anything like that and it's like you know like if if i had to live on nine dollars an hour and i had to raise my family you know like it's it's like you know if i pick up this clothespin and i drop it it's we know it's going to fall if we pay somebody nine dollars an hour or less we know what's going to mm -hmm. happen and well, and we, and we know that it's ultimately people have to in, increase their uh, marketability, right? Or yeah, improve well, their skills. Uh, and if we're able to help them the, get those skills that allow them to climb that ab economic absolutely, ladder. Whether that's, and that's community college. But, but this idea, it's like, well, only 16 and 17-year-olds work at McDonald's. It's like, that's not true. The average age of a fast food worker is, I think, 29 or 30. So, like, again, we're all better off when we're all better off, mm -hmm. you know? And, and this idea, whether you're a U.S. senator, whether you're the, the president of the United States <clears throat> or a lieutenant governor, you can't change these, you know, entirely by yourself. But the Republican Congress with, you know, this last tax bill, it was $1.4 trillion. We have, as a society, money for the things that we want to have the money for. And, and it's disappointing that it's not for more constructive things that benefit a greater the greater good as opposed to uh, a, a select few of uh, that have already done extraordinarily well under these kind of circumstances well so you are marching towards uh, may uh, uh, 15 I guess is uh, yeah. your day that uh, you'll have uh, 
your name on the ballot all across Pennsylvania once again. Yeah. Um, yeah. With the idea that you would be running with uh, Tom Wolf in the fall. Yeah. Um, uh, any predictions, uh, uh, you know, as it relates well, to... Well, uh, I've, I've always said that the only thing that really matters in this election here in Pennsylvania is is Governor Wolf winning in the general. Um, uh, because everything everything that a Democrat values, whether it's a woman's right to choose, a union's right to organize, you know, environmental regulations, you know, uh, taxing, you know, all these things that, that matter... Um, uh, we'll all go out the window if a Scott Wagner or a Republican wins because they'll enjoy complete control of, of the House, Senate, and the, the governorship. Um, I, of course, very much want to be that lieutenant governor, but, but as long as Governor Wolf uh, prevails, um, that's what's most important to our Commonwealth, for sure. Well, been sitting with uh, Mayor John Fetterman at the uh, Square Cafe in Pittsburgh. Uh, John, thanks for uh, joining me here on Brews and Views. I appreciate hey, it. Thanks for having me, and it's uh, it's a pleasure. And uh, welcome uh, to Pittsburgh. Thank you. You've been listening to Brews and Views, a production of Commonwealth Partners Chamber of Entrepreneurs. Find us on Facebook at Commonwealth Partners. And follow Matt Briette at M-A-T-T-B-R-O-U-I-L-L-E-T-T-E.